Everybody, thanks for joining us. Pastor Steve had some family stuff helping with the kids this morning, so I'll take the reins. We're in Mark chapter 2. God willing, we'll we'll end chapter 2. But Jesus is being Jesus. Sometimes I get the question, Kurt, why do you shock people? Why do, why do you why do you say what you do? And part of it is, well, most of it's my personality, but part of it is Jesus. And hopefully as we go through Mark, you'll appreciate a little bit. He wasn't a shock jock, but he understood it. Um, as we saw last week, it, it was a thing, right? Calling a tax collector and then going to a dinner at the house of, of other notorious sinners. I mean, it, it was a big deal. It's like uh, your favorite rabbi going to the SS guy's house for dinner. I mean, it's, it's a hard, hard sell. <clears throat> but Jesus had a bigger point, <clears throat> and that's where he's, <coughs> excuse me, he's, he's going today. Now, how has it been going for Jesus so far in Mark? How is his ministry going? Exactly. This is great. I mean, well, I don't know if it's great from his perspective, but it's great. I mean, big, massive crowds, people surrounding him, the whole north shore of the Sea of Galilee, that little fishing village community, people are loving him. He's attracting big, big attention. We saw a week before last that other rabbis now are coming to hear him, which is a particular honor. And now the Pharisees have come. Um, particular rabbis, and Pharisees, I don't want to say exclusively, but almost exclusively come from Judea. Remember, Jesus is in Galilee, and there's a big difference. It's sort of the difference between New York and Israel. Jesus was born in New York, and so there's Jews that will come from Israel and say, eh, you're not really Jewish. So his his take on things, his experience is, is different. Pharisees, and we'll, we'll talk a lot about them, but just a little bit of an intro here. They are a weird combination of a rabbinic movement and also a political party. So they are somewhat similar to what Jesus is doing from Galilee, but as strange as this sounds, Pharisees are the liberal end of the Jewish world. Most of the time when we hear Pharisee, we think, oh, they're arch-conservative, they're super religious. But in the Jewish community, with the rabbinic movement, their drive was to make Scripture applicable to modern times. I mean, it was the Bible was 1,500 years old for them. So they had to do some work, and this is what the rabbis tend to do, is, is they take the teachings of Moses, and they make it apply to today. The Pharisees uh, had a tendency to be the detail-minded people. They wanted to give you rules and steps and practical ways to apply the law. And they take a lot of liberties in doing it. Sort of one of the classic debates 
and I, we always talk about this, um, there's two schools of thought, and we'll see which side Jesus comes down on today, but there's the Shammai school of rabbis, and there's the Hillel. Those Shammai is really what Jesus is experiencing in Galilee. They're the very conservative. They're the literalists. What the Bible says is what the Bible says. On the other hand, you have Hillel, which the Pharisees are a part of. Um, Paul will come from this this branch of of uh, the rabbinic movement. So when you get to the issue of divorce, um, Shammai will be very conservative and say, "Yeah, you really shouldn't get a divorce." Where the Pharisees are like, "No, we understand today." Uh, divorce happens, uh, so we just need to make it easier uh, in order to get divorced. Pastor Stephen always talk about avad and shamar, right? That you are to serve and protect. These are the commands from Genesis. That second one is what the Pharisees took to heart, the shamar, uh, to protect. It comes from taking... Um, basically mesquite bushes and building a fence around something, your crops or your livestock, so that other animals won't get into it. What they were trying to do is build the shamar around the law. So you wouldn't even come close to violating the law. They'd have this fence up. Now, I I know it's a lot, but... Hopefully this will help us a little bit into the argument Jesus is going to get into. So let's look at Mark chapter 2, verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and other disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but you are not? Now, don't you love these kind of questions? When are you going to stop beating your wife? I mean, and everybody loves to ask questions, right? It's this this battle of, of asking questions. So let's stop for a minute and, and think about fasting. What is fasting and why do we do it? Exactly, yeah. So it's, it's from sun up to sundown, um, which you fast. When you fast for 40 days, you don't not eat and drink for 40 days, you'll die. Uh, even if you're Jesus, you'll die. Uh, but he can come back. Um, but why, why do we do it? Clear your head. Clear your head. And what, what's the goal? I mean, you clear your head so that you can what? Yeah. It's that, that's the point, to be closer to God. Is the purpose just to fast? Oh, wouldn't it be to uh, liquidate suffering, to know what happiness is? I remember I'm an ex-Catholic. Yeah, and that sounds very Catholic. Yeah. <laughs> let, let, let me put it a different way. And I'm trying to be a little shocking, so bear with me. 
God really does not care if you read the Bible, if you pray, and you go to church. That's not his goal for you. It's not. They are a means for you getting closer to him so that you can hear him and you can have better relationship. This is where Jesus' teaching is going to cut right to the quick. With the Pharisees in particular, they love the idea of fasting. And they're missing the point, like you brought up, the point of fasting is to get closer to God. So if you go to the gym and you do all the things, but you never get healthy, you never get in better shape, there's no point to it, is there? Skipping leg day. It's skipping leg day, exactly. Um, the Pharisees get so, and it, it's not just them, I think it's, it's in danger for all of us, but they get so focused on the steps that we take to reach our goal that they forget the goal. So Jesus is going to unload here, and I hate to say it, but this is another typical kind of rabbinic argument. Do you remember, I guess it was a couple months ago, the guy on the plane that started harassing Mike Tyson was sitting next to Mike Tyson on the plane. He's talking to him, talking to him, and saying, yeah, I'm a great boxer too. You want to see some of my moves? Um, and I think the guy was drunk. I don't know that for sure. But if you sit next to Mike Tyson on a plane and you start mouthing off and showing him that you're a great boxer, what's going to happen to you? You're going to get beat up. It's just, it, that's the way it's going to go. You, you don't pick on Mike Tyson. In, in many ways, when we get into these rabbinic arguments, they're not just a question, answer, question, answer. I mean, these are heavy, heavy duty uh, scriptural process. I mean, the, the questions they're asking are not the answers they're looking for. They're looking to move you to a place. I mean, it's, it's pretty masterful. So they ask Jesus this loaded question. Why do John the Baptist's followers, who, by the way, we all know endorsed you, why do they fast? And of course, why do we Pharisees fast? And you don't seem to. You don't uh, teach your disciples to do it. So where in the law is fasting commanded? It's not. As strange as it sounds, in the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, um, there's no command to fast. See, this is what I mean, that Jesus has a way of really cutting to the quick. Fasting shows up about the time of Judges. And if you sort of follow the biblical narrative, uh, the reason for that is because in Judges, the people are about as far away from God as you can get. But in the time of Moses, you have Moses speaking directly uh, to God and from the people. You have uh, you know, the ark present. You have the, the, the pillar of fire and the smoke, all that. I mean, there's sort of direct communication. So this idea that we've got to fast doesn't really gel. The Pharisees, though, take a comment out of Leviticus that says, during the Day of Atonement, you need to deny yourself as you do on Sabbath. Okay, 
and, and this is kind of involved, but um, do you eat on the Sabbath? Of course you do. Uh, yes, you do. But the Pharisees were saying, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. We've got to build a fence around this. We don't want to come anywhere close to violating the commands. So what we're going to do is we're going to fast. We're going to deny ourselves by not eating. And we're not just going to do it on uh, Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement. We're going to do it twice a week. Because isn't it better... Um, if God said to do it, and he didn't really, but he said to do it, and that we're going to do it every week, not just once a year. And this is where Jesus is like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why, why are you doing this? You're, you're promoting the steps ad nauseum, and you're missing what's the point. So if the point of fasting is to clear your mind and be closer to God. Would you want to fast with Jesus? He's right there! He's literally right there! You, you, hello, God. Um, I'm not going to eat. I'm going to focus. Uh, no, talk to me. I'm right here. And look at the answer that Jesus gives. I mean, he's, he's going right there. Jesus answered. And how is he going to answer? You know this, right? But what is he going to do? He's going to give a question. How can the guests of a bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. And on that day, they will fast. So, in a kind of rabbinic way, he's, he's saying, it's kind of silly. Uh, if you're here with the bridegroom, you're here at the celebration, that you're going to deny yourself fast when you could talk to me. And so he's, he's biting into the Pharisees here, right? You're so worried about the detail. You're so worried about this tradition that you've put on steroids that you forgot the purpose is to talk to God. I'm right here. You're missing this because you're worried about the steps to do what's happening before you. Now, it's loaded language, right? And I think we, we get this. Why did he go to bridegroom? Did, did he get all that? Why, why did he go to um, groom? He's the groom and we are the bride. Right. So this is a very old biblical image that, uh, I mean, it, it starts with the prophets. Jesus will continue it forward. But that, and it sounds strange to our ears, uh, we are married to God. That God made a berit, a covenant with us. And remember, the word covenant is the same word for marriage. It's, it's the same thing. Uh, you've made your choice. You've made your cut. So the, the image is that he is God, that Jesus is presenting. But again, he does it as a rabbi. He doesn't say, oh, shut up, I'm God. You should worship me. He's from Galilee. He's a rabbi. He doesn't do that. Um, he lays out, I am the bridegroom. I am 
the other part of the covenant that Israel has always looked for. I am the fulfillment of what you're looking for. So yeah, there really is no point in you arguing about these things when you're missing God right before you. Now let me stop. It's fun when we pick on the Pharisees. But do we still do this today? I think we do. We have our own traditions that we get lost and we just do over and over and we forget this is to help you connect with God. In some ways, I think it's helpful to think of your soul as your body. Or they have similar attributes. You know, if you're if you're exercising and the exercise gets really, really easy and you can do it without much effort, should you continue to do that? Of course you should, because it's easy. It doesn't take much effort. You can do it by muscle memory. It's fine. Just leave it alone. This is tradition. This is what God commanded. Oh, no, it's not. I mean, your soul generally needs to go to those harder places, those different places, so that you get closer to God. So when you do what you do, I think it's always good to give it that test. Is this working? Yeah. I could down. That goes along lines of watering it down to the point where it doesn't happen to use the purpose anymore. And I just lost the other thought. Like God said, you don't have to pray to me five, six different times. Just one will do. As long as it's genuine. And I think it's different for different people. You know, in a crisis, I do need to pray five times. You know, I, I need to pray all the time. Um, sometimes just an honest-to-God screaming match in the car is what I need. Uh, sometimes I need to slow down and really pay attention. I mean, it's, it's like any kind of relationship. You can't just keep doing the same, same old, same old uh, if it's not working. Part of what we're going to see begin to develop is a, a difference between the, the the Judean kind of view of of Judaism and the, and that's Pharisees and Sadducees and all that, and then where Jesus came up in Galilee. So to, to expand on that a little bit, so Jesus has just kind of shot down the fasting thing, and in case you're you're you're, you're keeping score. He, he very much came up with the Shammai answer, which is where he's from in Galilee. Now, Jesus doesn't always stick to Shammai. We've talked about he teaches with authority. He's got his own way of doing it. And his own way of doing it is look at the goal. And especially in Mark, as we go through this, keep in mind what the end product is. God ultimately cares about that whether it's the Sabbath or, or other things. But he really was calling the Pharisees to the carpet about adding stuff. Um, don't, if, if God said you should fast, and you know, hear me clearly, Jesus is saying that there comes a time when maybe fasting is helpful. Um, that when he's gone 
and we do want to get closer to him, it's, it's okay to do. But you can't fast for fast's sake. You've got to fast for it to bring it closer to you, closer to God. If it doesn't work for you, it's not working, then I would say don't do it. If it does help you get closer to God, then do it. But Jesus is not finished. He's going to do the Mike Tyson thing. He's going to beat these guys to a pulp. Um, Verse 21. He continues on um, with these little mini parables. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skin, and both the wineskin and the wine will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into the wineskins. And then he sort of drops the mic. And it's sort of left to us as participants, okay, what just happened? We're talking about fasting, and suddenly we're talking about clothes and wine, and I don't know what all of this is. And so part of it is he is responding to things that they would know. Uh, He's illustrating, if you answer these parables, then you'll have the answer to your question. So first thing to talk about is garments, clothing. What what do we know about clothing from the first century? Wasn't a lot of it. It really... It's what? Yeah. The the clearest indication of who you are in society was the way you dressed and what you ate. And so the average person had the clothes they had on their back. They're not like we are today. We have closets and closets, and if you're my wife, you have her closet and my closet of clothes. Um, if, if you think about weaving and how hard that is, it's massively labor-intensive. Apparently, they didn't have Chinese children um, in order to make all those quick clothes for us. Um, so it, it was, I'm sorry, they're Indonesian or, you know, whatever, um, Indian or or Mexico. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the more things change the same. We, we say that we should enslave people, and then we turn around and do it. So God help us. Um, but it's, it's a massive, massive sense of investment. Um, so when Joseph got his uh, coat of many colors, it was a massive, massive uh, sign of favor and wealth. So there is this tendency, right? Your favorite garment uh, rips, and like your mom, or my mom back in the 80s, I tore the knees out of my jeans, and so what did she decide to do? <laughs> Put those patches on. <laughs> And I swear I've lived this parable, right? Because those things never worked. They, they looked ugly and they never worked. I managed to tear them off you know, the first day of school. But uh, Jesus, and maybe I, sh- maybe I shouldn't get the answer, but what, what, what is Jesus saying here? I mean, ask the question, come up with the answer. This is where we've got to you know, let, let our master teach us. What, what's wrong with the scenario? Things are different. Things are different. It's a new time, and the old ways won't work. I think in reference to what they came up and said about, well, why don't you fast? He's, he's really finishing that argument. 
you've built up this big wall, this big hedge, this big shamar, and you think you're doing people a, a service. But what you've tried to do is take an action that God performed and bottle it so that he becomes a genie in a bottle. You've got to be able to continue to make new clothes. You've got to go through that effort. You can't just rely on the faith of your grandfathers. You can't rely on the faith of what other people have done. You, in a sense, have to develop your own prayers. That doesn't mean we don't say the Lord's Prayer. It doesn't mean that you can't maybe look at other people's prayers. But in the course of your relationship with God, you better figure out how to pray. You better figure out how to connect to God. You can't simply take what has existed that you like and you don't want to preserve and just keep patching it up. Because the garment is not the point. The point is to connect to God. And I'm a conservative guy. I'm a traditionalist guy. You know, I believe unless um, I believe strongly that unless it happened BC, it's garbage and it won't last. Right? Um, it's got to be old in order to be good for me. But in a sense, Jesus really challenges that here and says, um, I, "I expect you to live your faith." Now, hear me clearly. I don't think we throw out the Bible. At all, I don't think we throw out traditional teachings. It's it's not the that's not what anybody's talking about. What we're talking about is that you have to yourself find a way to apply that here and now. Again, keep the goal in mind. And then finally, we get to the wineskins. How many sermons have you heard on this? We make ourselves absolutely insane. I think trying to to go through this. What do you make wineskins out of? <laughs> Platters. <clears throat> you guys know I'm a German. I come from a long line of Germans. I love my sausage. And I love real homemade sausage. But if you've ever seen that stuff made, yeesh. I mean, there's horror movies <laughs> that have less gore than the original. Um, you know, there's no part of the animal that the, we won't use. So it's, it's a big deal, right, to, uh, to have a wineskin. I mean, you, you guys have cleaned your, uh, your deer, your, your elk, right? Do, do you go ahead and keep the bladders and, and just bring all that stuff home, right? We, we live in a different day. Here, coyote, coyote, you know. Come, come do your job, fella. Um, it's, it's a lot of work. So, uh, there's the same tendency with the clothes to just say, you know what? It's good enough for now. It's, it'll, it'll get me by. And that's exactly what Jesus is arguing against. Don't ever treat your faith like it's muscle memory or it's on cruise control. Don't take an old something and say, well, it's good enough. Um, if God is trying to do something in your life, He's trying to add the new wine. And I need to 
to call in the experience of all the alcoholics in our room today. So uh, uh, go ahead and identify yourself. No, I'm kidding. Um, what's the difference between new wine and wine that you've put away? Age, but fermentation. Yeah, taste. <laughs> they they get real excited about uh, new wine, spring wine. You know, it's fresh. Uh, it's uh, it's a source of festivals. Now, wine, like the other three blessed fruits or three blessed crops, uh, wheat, olive, and grape, are seen as these really special uh, fruits that they call them uh, that God has given specifically to the promised land, to Israel. So anytime they're talking about those three, and Jesus does a lot, but wheat, olive, and grape, uh, again, their ears sort of perk up. This is a blessing that God intended. Uh, he intended them to um, to drink the wine, to enjoy it. They have a tendency at the new wine festivals to drink it uh, straight, or with the older wines, they mix it with water. Um, so <clears throat> there was a little more fraternity going on uh, when you're talking about new wine. So it's more more celebratory, more more the goodness of life. But just like we said, it's going to ferment, it's, it's going to be volatile, the sugars and everything are, are doing their, their job, so it's going to burst the old. And Jesus is sort of really laying out for them, oh, okay, if God is trying to do something new, He's trying to experience, uh, or help me have an experience, lead me to a new place, and I'm just taking the old, and I'm taking what's good enough, I'm not really thinking about it, I'm sort of lost in the details, then it's going to burst. And what what did he say you're going to lose? The wine and the wine. Yeah, you're going to lose what you were holding on to and the new thing that God is, is trying to do. So again, this is a lot of taking us to, to weird places, but I think the message is pretty clear. I mean, from him, right? What's, what's the goal here? To be closer to God. We have a lot of steps that we can go through to get there. But if we get lost in the steps, if we try to preserve the steps above all things, then we miss the thing that we're supposed to hold on to. That's exactly right. Um, and that, you know, I've said that a lot. It sounds kind of cliche. Um, certainly the religion helps us um, to, to the relationship. Um, and it's, I think this balancing act, you know, the, the scripture is the word of God. We're not, not going to lose it. Um, but we always have to find ways to really experience it ourselves. God doesn't just want you to read about what happened to other people. He wants you to read about what happened to other people so you understand what's happening to you. So, any questions, comments, corrections? kind of took the Old Testament and made it a rule book instead of making it a book of principles, which is what the Bible really is. Principle after principle leads us to a closer relationship with God. And they took it and made that rule. And then over and over and over again, Jesus came and took all the traditions and everything.
everything that they're doing and completely 180 Yep. No, it's not about that. It's about this. Yep. I wonder, you know, you've got God talking to people. Right? You've made the analogy that I was a person talking to a friend, right? Right. We, we couldn't have understood exactly what God was trying to say yet. They wrote it down and they copied it and, you know, what was lost in translation. But you never hear Jesus flat out deny it. He doesn't ever say, no, that's wrong, although maybe in his head he's going, that's not my sick. <laughs> yeah, a bunch of maroons, yeah. Balance there's he just never says it's wrong, but was it wrong? Did they just write it down? Hello there. He just simple. Yeah. I think both he, he simplified it, but he made it a lot harder. Because again, he wants that exercise always to be hard for you. Don't forget, life is preparing you for heaven. Life is helping you connect to God so that when it comes, you'll, you'll be there. You know, to, to your point, maybe if we had gotten the Old Testament, he wouldn't have had to show up in person. You know, If I write you a letter and you can't get it, uh, and I have to show up, maybe it says something there. Um, I, I really think we got to be careful, though, because it's so easy to be like the Pharisees and think, ah, the Jews didn't get it. They missed it. He tells us this, that story so we don't um, Thank you. miss it. Today, than it was at the time the Bible was being written because the language differences. But Greek words don't equate to English words. Exactly. So we're learning. We have to study to learn. We have to listen to learn. And we have to apply it to what the contextual means, the verses before and the verses after. Uh, man, I'm glad, I'm glad you're here. Um, it's rare that I recommend books, but uh, I might recommend this one. Um, it's Pirkei Avot. Uh, a lot of times I talk about Talmud and Mishnah and all that, and I know it sounds overwhelming, um, but this is an amazing place to start. Um, it's simply the wisdom of our fathers. And it's not a huge book. Um, but if I went to Jesus' library and pulled out a book, uh, I can guarantee this was on his bookshelf. Now, not really. He didn't have a bookshelf. I mean, it would have been in a synagogue somewhere. But think about what he just said with the, the wineskins. And uh, this is one of the things that comes out of um, this wisdom of our fathers. So this is about a hundred years. This thing is in circulation before Jesus. Um, and and there, there's so much to this, but uh, let me just read the whole section. So this is a rabbi talking. Um, this is Rabbi Elisha ben Abayud. Regarding one who studies when young, to what uh, can that person be compared? To ink written on a new paper. Regarding the one who studies when old, to what can a person be compared? To ink written on paper that has been erased. Regarding one who learns from the young, to what can this be prepared? To one eating unripe grapes and drinking wine from the wine press. Regarding the person who learns from the old, to what can this be compared? 
to the one eating ripe grapes and drinking old wine. And then a rabbi responds, don't look at the wineskin, but rather what is in it. For there are new wineskins filled with old wine, and there are old wineskins that don't have any new wine. And see what I mean? This He took, they would have known this, they're, they're rabbis, they're Pharisees. And so he's taking this and he's turning it. It's not just don't judge a book by the cover, but it really is God is going to burst your skin because you've preserved it for so long in a mummy kind of way instead of, of letting it be helpful to you. So this is all over this book. And it, it's not hard. It's, um, it's just sayings like this. It's not in a lot of great order. But man, you, you hear a lot of Jesus. And not that Jesus just quoted this, you know, he didn't have original thoughts. But this is what people were thinking. You know, this is sort of their C.S. Lewis. And so he's able sometimes to channel it. And then, important for us, he flips it, like you said. Um, and, and so if you really get the rabbinic stuff here, he just insulted the Pharisees like nobody's business. He was saying, you're young, and you don't get it. Um, You have, in a classic way, gone after the wineskin, and you don't care about what's inside of it. And so, have you ever been insulted by a British person? You know, it takes a few minutes. It's like that punch that doesn't hurt, and then, oh, oh my gosh. You know, the British are so witty about it. It takes you, hey, hey, wait a minute. I think that was Jesus with the Pharisees. Like, don't. Don't pick on Mike Tyson. You're, you're, you're going to get beat down. So, um, wisdom of our fathers, but it's it's usually in Hebrew. Pirke um, Avot. If you guys want some, I'll order some, and they're real expensive. You can get them off Amazon. Um, so Pirke is is sayings, and Avot is fathers. Um, You'll, you'll hear a lot. So anyway, other questions? This has been good. I appreciate your, your reflection. Yes? My boy's in farm and he starts, you know, his uh, clothing and wine and start thinking about body and blood. And I, I, you know, he's, he's already, he's already been to my beard and I've been gone. I don't know. There's so many differences he's like, and it's a massive well. Um, almost anything that Jesus says, I mean, you just keep going and going and going and going. I mean, it is a God. It is God talking to a shrimp, right? Um, there's so many layers of Scripture, so many meanings. Um, I don't know if it's endless, but it's certainly worth a lifetime of study. Um, you know, both of those things, the clothing and the wine, are of this world, when we really should be focusing on on the world to come. And as hard as that is, you know, our life, God's ultimate goal is not for us to have a perfect life. It's to have a perfect eternity. Um, this life is the old wineskin. That's, that's hard to, to swallow sometimes. So, all right. Well, please pray for Paul Taggart, uh, my worship leader. He had to take his wife to the emergency room last night at 2.30.
two in the morning. Uh, she's been having uh, breathing problems from pneumonia, and so she's in ICU today. So that's always terrifying. Um, so her name is Wendy. So let's pray for her. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we do sit at your feet. We can hear your word again. Father God, we know when you speak, it is not a simple thing. Your words create worlds. Your words define. Your words save. We know our purpose is to get to know you, to be like you, to be able to walk in the garden, to be like Emmanuel, to know that you are with us and that we choose to be with you. So help us truly to treasure your words, not as an end in and of themselves, but as a way to get closer. Lord God, we do say a special prayer that we will not put our faith on cruise control with you. We know your truth rings out. It will not change. But you expect that truth to be found in our life. Help us this day to look at what we do and ask, am I doing the heavy lifting or am I just going through the motions? Help us to be ready for that new wine the joy, the delight that you would give us. Make sure that we're ready to hold it. Father God, we also pray for Wendy today that you would give her lungs healing, that you would help her and the entire family be made strong. We know that this life is temporary, but we know that you care for us deeply in it. So help us to know your healing, to know your presence and to know where we're going. In your Son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Yes. Mark, is, is there a specific phrase or line? I don't remember. Was it Abraham or somebody else? Before he made a promise, he had put his hand under the guy's So, <clears throat> ha.